Ready, Colleen? We're going live in three, two, one. On this episode of What on Earth Can We Do? Colleen and Gregory remember fondly what it's like to see people in person. Emma continues her ongoing battle with Zoom. And we sit down for plant-based pancakes with Melissa Raju from the Edmonton Convention Center to learn what on earth we can do to host greener events. Yay! We're officially... <laughs> this is officially the start. Yeah, and I'm, I'm so excited to be going live with with an audience today. So for those who are listening to, to the podcast at a later date, um, on October 6th, we... Uh, did what many people are doing in COVID and planned a Zoom webinar in order to be able to gather everyone together in our province to watch us film this very special episode. And um, and it's just so so nice to have a community that we're able to come and connect with and, and share these stories with and also share these amazing people with. Um, so Colleen, we're at the end of our of our season, which is very exciting. Uh, at this point, we haven't finished recording it yet, but uh, we've definitely been learning a lot. Oh, totally. We've learned about trees. We've learned about biofuel. We've learned about biomass. We've learned about what municipalities are doing that are so cool. It's been a pretty sweet season. Yeah, it's it's been really amazing. And again, a big thank you to all of our guests because. Um, these are interesting times. It was definitely challenging. We had to go on our own personal journey to figure out how to create a podcast during COVID-19. And there were definitely some moments that, that let's, let's just call them learning moments when we were figuring this all out. Yeah. <laughs> um, been learning moments. And I mean, what, what a perfect way to end this season with a very special guest from the Edmonton Convention Center. So if there's anyone who's joining us or listening to this from outside of Edmonton, uh, which I, I imagine there are, um, the Edmonton Convention Center was recognized this past year for the large business category at the Emerald Awards. And if you're new to the Emerald Awards, they showcase and inspire environmental excellence in our province. Um, but I feel like if you're Edmontonian, you definitely have a connection to the Edmonton Convention Center, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I have a few pretty memorable nights at the Edmonton <laughs> Convention Center. <laughs> some, I don't quite, some I don't quite remember. <laughs> Had some fun times. I, I love it. And I, I love to uh, describe the Edmonton Convention Center as the place that I go to see Tegan and Sarah, which is exactly what it's for. It's it's this really beautiful, ginormous venue in the middle of our of our river valley river valley that hosts a ton of different types of events, um, from concerts like Tegan and Sarah. I saw the nineteen seventy five there, which was amazing, um, as well as award shows, banquets, you name it. They they are they are hosting it at this venue. Um, so I'm very excited to dive into this podcast with Melissa Radu, who's going to walk us through some of the amazing things that this uh, convention center is doing, and also telling us a little bit about green events and how we can be making them better in our own lives. Um, so let's let's just introduce Melissa here. I We're going to read her bio, which I, which I always love doing, <laughs> because this is going to seem very unnatural, but I, I love, I, I feel like I would just mess it up if I didn't have this in front of me. So uh, Melissa is 
is so as venues sustainability manager at explore edmonton she manages the long-term sustainability strategies for both the edmonton convention center and edmonton expo center stressing the importance of data and measurement and sustainability melissa works closely with these teams to set the benchmarks for year after year improvement and works to empower event professionals to collaborate outside of industry boundaries to drive positive change for future generations these event venues are accountable to high sustainability standards that make them stand out from all the other convention centers in North America and help position ECC and Expo as hubs for community education around sustainability. So without further ado, please welcome Melissa Radu. Hello, Melissa. Hey. Hi. Hello. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for joining us. So my first question, where did I go wrong with my pancakes? <laughs> so I'm loving this breakfast for dinner thing, but I do think we're going to need to do an audience poll afterwards on who's turned out the best. I mean, I'm kind of envying uh, Colleen's here, but be nice to uh, to get an audience vote on it. Yeah, and, <laughs> you're wondering and I, what this is. This is some cinnamon garnish. Oh going my on goodness! Here. Stop uh -huh. it, everyone. Um, <laughs> Melissa, yours. I, I wish that we weren't separated through the power of Zoom right now because I feel like your pancakes are like exactly what I was hoping mine to turn out as. Yours look really good, Melissa. Thank you. I mean, it kind of feels like we're together, eh? We're eating the same yeah. thing. We get to chat. So it sort of feels like we're we're all in one room. Uh, oh man, I, I'm so excited to chat with you, Melissa, because when we went to visit you at ECC a little while ago, you were like, just your wealth of knowledge on that building was incredible and what you guys do in there. I feel before we like dive too much into the Edmonton Convention Center, we should chat about you as a person um, and as, as the sustainability expert. So um, tell us about Melissa. When, when people ask me, I guess, about my sustainability journey, I normally don't start by talking about the companies that I work for. I often say that the work that I do is all about inspiring people to be courageous and to be optimistic about protecting our earth and its natural systems. And that's some of the work that I do in the workplace now, but it's some of the stuff that I just do outside of the workplace as well. So really any work that gets us closer to achieving that goal for me has always been worthwhile doing. Um, I've been with the convention center now for just about two years, but before I began working in the field of sustainability specifically, I actually worked in the hospitality and tourism industry for about 10 years. And then I decided to go back to school and I did a specialized master's degree in sustainable regional development and tourism. And I was really fortunate because I was able to do that degree in Spain. And I did a whole bunch of field work and research in Europe. And then for some time or after my degree, I worked in sustainability consulting. And this was all really in a time where the world was sounding the alarm on the climate crisis and companies were really starting to embrace this idea that having a sustainability expert on staff would be a really smart business decision. And so it wasn't long before I kind of felt the familiar calling to come back to the events industry. And I did do that. And I approached that kind of with the aim to 
help the events industry transform into a more sustainable industry. And that's really what I get to do every day now, which is so rewarding. That's awesome. Uh, earlier, you talked about uh, the approach to climate change with optimism. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I think it's different for every person. What we might experience as um, climate change anxiety, people manage that in a different way, I think. Um, for me, you know, a lot of people say that they're concerned about future generations. And so it gives them this kind of grief and the need to kind of use their own coping, um, you know, mechanisms for that. For me, I've always been interested in creating change because I find the science just to be so compelling and also so distressing. And so for me, um, being able to find motivation and inspiration in the work that I do to create change is more motivating, I think, than it is kind of that daunting feeling. And so that's kind of the attitude that I take into my work as mm. possible. Yeah, that's, that's great. And it's uh, just speaking from the Alberta Emerald Foundation, that's our approach as well. We like to be the good news storytellers and see the benefits of inspiring people through the good that's happening. So definitely, you're speaking my language. <laughs> um, is there a specific moment in your life uh, that you look back on that you think, yes, this was the moment that I decided that I was going to dedicate myself to environmental work? Yeah, I've been asked this question before. And really, there's two, there's two scenarios that kind of pop out in my mind at very different times, I guess, in, in my life. And the first one is I actually remember watching a PBS documentary, if you guys remember when those were on TV, about Rachel Carson. Now, if you don't know who she is, she's this very famous uh, conservationist, and she was really one of the first people who raised concerns about the use of specific um, synthetic pesticides. And we know now that she's the reason that DDT was, was banned. And I remember watching this documentary and thinking, this girl is a pretty rad chick. It really wouldn't be until late years later that I actually read Silent Spring, which was certainly her most notable book. But when I did read that book, I thought that maybe that's when I came up with the idea that I could dream to be like Rachel Carson and to be somebody that maybe could be credited with advancing the environmental movement somehow. So that was kind of the first one. The other time that I really look back on as being a turning point for me was around the age of like 13 or 14, I did a whole bunch of reading and like investigation about industrial animal farming. And this is when PETA was kind of very popular and you kind of heard about it everywhere. And I think when I stormed into the house and I proclaimed that I was never going to eat meat again to my parents, <laughs> they probably knew that that was a bit of a, a turning point and that there was probably no looking back. And that's for me kind of where a bit of that started, I think, too. So I look back at that as kind of being a, a pinnacle for me. Nice. Are, are you still vegetarian or vegan? I am for about 15 years now. And it has been a real interesting journey just seeing how vegetarianism and veganism and plant-based eating has really changed and evolved over that time. Um, it's been really great to see and it, it's sort of a personal passion project of mine lately, uh, 
dealing with uh, plant-based eating and encouraging people to embrace plant-based eating. Yeah, and we really see that through through the work that the Edmonton Convention Center is doing for sure. Uh, I I have to say we've had the opportunity to connect a number of times now, and every time I come to to, to sit down with you, I'm, I'm always blown away by your passion for the environment. So I'm really excited to get into this with you. Um, right now, you are working at the Edmonton Convention Center and the Edmonton Expo Center, two major centers here in the city as the sustainability manager. Um, and I want to focus specifically on the Emerald Award-winning uh, Edmonton Convention Center, um, which has recently, over the past few years, undertaken uh, quite a few retrofits and makeovers to become a sustainability leader, not only in a province, but really an example for the whole world to follow, and also was recognized by the Emerald Awards. So um, can you take us through some of the features or some of the some of the high points or examples that set uh, the Emmett Convention Center apart? Yeah, I sure can. Happy to. Uh, the Edmonton Convention Center, as I mentioned, has had a a sustainability program and a culture of sustainability that's really developed over uh, 10 plus years. And we really owe that to our employees, many of whom are still not back at work, but we hope to have them back at work soon. Um, but even after all of this time and work, we really never stopped pushing the envelope on what we could do at that facility, how we could change, how we could innovate, and adapt. And winning this award for us was really an acknowledgement of that work, that lasting work. So there's been a couple things in the last year that listeners might be interested in hearing about that we've done. The first is we launched our greenhouse gas emissions reduction plan publicly. And that's a commitment from both of our venues to reduce emissions by 30% by 2035. So an ambitious goal. We also met and we, we actually extended our waste uh, reduction and diversion targets. And when you're talking about a facility that sees over 250,000 kilograms of waste come through, that was a really, a really big deal for us. We also introduced a new program, which was our responsible events program. And that program is our way of helping event planners to incorporate more sustainable practices into their events. And that um, event or that program launch also included the launch of a full plant-based menu. I believe we're the first convention center in Canada to have done that. And for us to be the convention center here in Alberta that is leading that charge when Alberta does kind of have a connection to um, beef was a really bold move, but also a move that demonstrated leadership for us. And so we're really proud to take that step. And then on top of all of that, um, a big accomplishment for us in 2019 was to host our first our city's first large-scale carbon neutral event, uh, and that was in October of last year. So those are some of the accomplishments that we've recently been celebrating and some of them that we wanted to highlight in the Emerald Award um, as well. Cool. I, I, want, I want us to hold on to the idea about the carbon neutral event for a moment because that's totally going to be where, where we go with this. Um, but before we, we leave the questions that we're asking right now and dive into the new subject, I just, um, why was this important for the Edmonton Convention Center? I mean, there's, there's 
I, I mean, to me, it's obvious why uh, why a facility of your size would want to take something like this on. But um, why why was this something that Edmonton Convention Center took on to become more environmentally sustainable? Yeah, and that's interesting because my position didn't actually exist until I was hired into it. So there was this kind of growing need that was identified to have somebody look after the sustainability uh, portfolio and ensure that it was really deeply rooted in how we do business. I would say that every action that we undertake as part of our sustainability program at the center has been developed for one of two goals. The first is really to help our city reach its uh, greenhouse gas reduction targets. We focus a lot on how we can help to do that. And then the other uh, goal would be to help educate and to help inform people to be an active themselves around sustainability. And those people could be our own employees, our larger community, or even other businesses, which is interesting because we hope that businesses can learn from our example and say, hey, if the Edmonton Convention Center, a building of 150,000 square feet with a massive footprint can do this, then we should be able to do this too or there's hope for us to be able to uh, get better in, in some of these areas. And so we really take that approach and we recognize that in order to be successful in either of those goals, we have to have sustainability as the foundation of all of our business decisions. And fortunately we have the support of our senior leadership team in our city behind us. So maybe now's the time to get a little bit into the nitty gritty of what you guys do. Um, so most of us are deciding how to hold COVID friendly events, but it's also very important to consider how to hold events that have a lower impact on the environment because you guys put on some pretty huge events and you really have become a, a leader in this, in this realm of these lower uh, these lower impact events. Um, can we chat a little bit about some of the initiatives ECC has in place? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So let's delve into the Responsible Events Program because there's so much interesting stuff to talk about in there. Yes, um, let's. <laughs> <laughs> when we designed the Responsible Events Program, we wanted it to be usable for every event that came into our building. So events that might just be starting off on their sustainability journey and other events that maybe were perhaps much further down that path. And so the program presents lots of different options and actions, both big and small, that people can participate in. So for instance, let's talk about signage. Most people might not know, and I'd be interested to know if you guys knew, that the typical event sign is made from foam core and foam core is a plastic product. What we see in the center is that signs are often used only once, maybe for a couple days or even just for a couple hours, and then they end up in the landfill forever. So what we did is we established a partnership with our in-house material provider, they're called GES, uh, to be able to provide an alternative signage product that's 100% recyclable. And the best part is that they offer it at the same price to all of our clients as you would pay for a foam core sign. So there's really no reason why, if you have to make a sign for an event, that it can't be one that's environmentally preferential um, in our building. We also partner 
we just started a partnership with a lanyard library. I don't know what you guys, but I have a whole pile of lanyards in the room next door that's just waiting <laughs> to go to the reuse center. Uh -huh. And it's, it's like another one of those things that you get and you typically only use it once and then it just sits around. So through this partnership, you can just loan lanyards for an event. The lanyards are also all made out of um, upcycled plastic. And then when the event concludes, you can just collect them and return them. They get laundered and then they get reused again. And lastly, you know, as part of the events, uh, responsible events program, and perhaps most interesting would be our commitment to helping events to measure and to report on event data. I always say, if you're gonna bother doing anything, you ought to bother measuring it, or it's like it didn't happen. So our in-house team helps event planners to collect data around their event. Things like the waste produced, the energy used, and even the carbon emissions um, produced. So then we can put together a post-event report that can be shared and people can really start to understand the impacts that they leave behind and then they can start to make changes year over year around their events. And so I really like that initiative as well. That is cool. I, I, I was just going to say, it's part of your bio that, that data is so important. It, it's, no, it shouldn't be any surprise that we don't have a ton of data when it comes to measuring events over time. It's something that we're starting to do better and we're starting to do more. We don't have a ton of relevant uh, information to look back on. And for us to know where we can improve, perhaps where we're not doing so good and where we are doing so good, and to be able to compare to other convention centers and compare to other events that are a similar size or do a similar style of business, we need to have those figures. And um, that way we can compare apples to apples instead of taking a guess at how we're doing or maybe where we want to put our efforts and our resources. Mm -hmm. It's pretty crazy. Like going back to what, um, you know, a typical event would look like at uh, the Edmonton convention center. I'm thinking back to some of the events I've been there and all of the, the decorations and the signs and the plastics used and all of that. It's, um, it's something that I previously before, before chatting with you, Melissa, I never have ever considered the amount of, um, waste that's produced within these events. I feel, I personally feel like I mourn every single tiny plastic straw I have ever used. <laughs> I know exactly. Um, can can we talk about, I know that there has been a carbon neutral event at ECC. Can you tell me what that looked like? Yeah, so the carbon neutral event that we hosted had about 500 guests who came to our building. And what a carbon neutral event essentially means is that all of the greenhouse gas emissions from the event were either eliminated completely or were offset and the offset project that we actually used was a methane trapping project right here in Alberta. For that event, it was about 140 metric tons of carbon dioxide that needed to be offset um, to, to make that event a carbon neutral event. 
Um, and that was the emissions from various different sources. So the ones that you would expect, such as um, electrical use in the building, we know that our waste creates methane. So um, that was also tracked. Any kind of paper or post-event production um, travel was also tracked. And then accommodation uh, for delegates that were staying within our city, as well as transportation into the city was all uh, tracked and then included in that 140 metric ton offset. Super it's kind cool. of like when you make an event carbon neutral, it's like from a residual greenhouse gas emissions, it's like it didn't even happen. Mm. Think about <laughs> if that's the future of the industry, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. that's pretty amazing. Um, are, is the Edmonton Convention Center, at, having had these experiences, are you sharing the how-tos with anyone else? Like what, what role are you playing within the community to make sure that this is happening at venues everywhere? Yeah, we'd really like to see all of the events that get hosted in Edmonton be carbon neutral events. I think that that's a wonderful way to think about how we can maintain in-person gatherings and still make sure that we're being environmentally responsible and that we're acting to prevent a global increase of 1.5 plus degrees. So I would, I would love to see that. Well, I do see that as the vision for our industry. Um, I would say that for us, we still have some finessing to do on how we can kind of streamline processes around it. I'd like to get several more under our belt um, before we did any kind of workshops or um, coaching, but I do get lots of calls from people who sort of want to know exactly how that might work, what it might look like. And so we do do some industry outreach right now. Um, but yeah, I think we have a couple steps along the way just to make sure we get everything um, right, and it can be working most efficiently. So we still have a little bit of practice to do. You need the and data. Yeah. <laughs> we, need, we need 2020 to have happened. Uh, <laughs> wow, wow. I, and I, I actually, I, I remember when we chatted um, while we were filming with you, you had mentioned it's not necessarily an all or nothing thing too. So it's not just either a full on event or carbon neutral that it's almost like you have this these stepping stones for somebody who maybe is bringing an event to ECC to take that might make their event a little more sustainable but not necessarily go all the way to carbon neutral so it, it's I feel like that those are really nice steps to take to get to that point where maybe eventually all events will be carbon neutral sure yeah you can offset you can measure and offset any portion of your event that you choose to and maybe not get to carbon neutrality. One great example, and I think it's an excellent best practice, is when people do have to travel to an event, when they go to register, they can you can partner with an offsetting organization where you can offset your flight or your transportation if you're driving um, or however you're getting to the event right there when you go to register. I know when I'm attending an event, I typically know how I'm going to get there. And I think that that's a, a great way to encourage people or companies to start thinking about small steps towards uh, carbon neutrality. Mm. So earlier you, you touched on uh, the challenges you were faced with bringing a plant-based diet or plant-based menu into uh, the province of Alberta, where beef, of course, is one of our major industries. So can we talk about plant-based diets a little bit? You're obviously a pa uh, passionate about them. Uh, I feel like I'm starting to understand what it means 
so plant-based it, is that like lingo for veganism is it something completely different what does plant-based mean Melissa, please put this argument to rest. I have I have had many arguments with both vegetarians and vegans about this term. And I'm very pleased to note that I just had plant-based KFC and it was not bad. So I, I just need to know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, and you you kind of said it yourself, like this has been a big passion project for me. I have just seen us transition from a time where you couldn't even get tofu or seitan or tempeh unless you went to a specialty store. And now we live in a time where they're on grocery store shelves everywhere and on menus everywhere. And the best part is they don't taste like cardboard anymore. <laughs> We've come a really long way. Um, but yes, plant-based eating. Plant-based eating is essentially a eating pattern that focuses on foods primarily from plants. So this means that you get the majority of your daily calories from plant sources. It doesn't mean that you're vegetarian or vegan or that you never eat meat or dairy. So a great example that I, that I give on what would be plant-based eating would be maybe a salad with a hard boiled egg on it or a portobello mushroom burger with a piece of cheese on it or maybe a piece of bacon even on it. The World Health Organization only tells us, or does tell us, that 10 to 15% of our daily calories need to come from protein sources, which is very possible to achieve if you adopt a plant-based diet. Um, so yeah, there are some misconceptions that you can never have a piece of cheese or milk again. Uh, not necessarily the case. It's about making sure that the majority of the food that you eat emphasizes um, vegetables or plants, sorry. And why is that a more environment, environmentally friendly choice for someone? Transitioning to plant-based diets presents a really good opportunity for reducing your own greenhouse gas emissions and also planetary greenhouse gas emissions if we can do it on a large enough scale. Um, if you were to transition to a plant-based diet and you typically are on a meat-eating diet, you could easily cut your carbon footprint in half just by that. Mm. The, the other thing to consider is one main reason to consider moving away from or moving on to a plant-rich diet is because, frankly, meat doesn't do a very good job of feeding the planet. You know, we've got global populations that are continuing to rise, and we really have to start thinking about food availability and what, you know, is just and equitable when it, when it comes to feeding people on the planet. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I um I read a really good book that just sort of laid it out that um it, it's called We Are the Weather, uh saving the uh, saving the planet starts at breakfast, and uh, it talked about that exactly where um it isn't necessarily that everyone becomes vegan, but it's more about the choices that we make before we sit down to eat, um and deciding, you know, am I going to have the regular beef burger or am I going to have the Beyond Meat burger and making those those decisions as, as we go. But just that um, because of the methane that's produced um, and also because animals require uh, plants to stay alive, that um, a lot of the plants that could be going to feed human beings are going to cows and, uh, cows and livestock instead. And so it's, uh, as the population increases, as, as you said, um, there's that that food scarcity issue. 
I think when you talk about the feedstock needed for animals too, it's often referred to, I love this term, the long shadow of the meat production industry. And I kind of like this idea that it casts this, this longer shadow, but yeah, you're certainly right. You know, we need only about 50 grams of protein. The average person I should say needs about 50 grams of protein in their diet. In Canada, the average person consumes 90 grams of protein a day. So wow. we're far above what we need. When you look at a meat eater, actually this was a study that was done in the USA, but I think it would be pretty comparable in Canada. If you look at a meat eater, um, their footprint from their diet in a year is about 3.3 metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent. If you just take out beef, so not even all meat, your uh, footprint goes down to 1.9 uh, metric tons of mm. carbon equivalent. So, you know, you're seeing a significant drop just by limiting or um, being conscious about the amount of meat that you're eating. That's huge. Yeah, that's huge. Should we just do so, a whole other podcast about plant-based um, I, I yeah. feel like I feel like uh, there's yes, definitely please. one there. Um, <laughs> be, before... Yeah, be, I was just going to say, uh, we should probably move on. Um, and someday, uh, because there's a rumor that you provide a really great um, presentation on the comparison between an avocado from Mexico and a cow from Alberta and the environmental impact of each. So stay tuned. We're going to book Melissa to provide us with this really great breakdown. But I feel like we need to move on to the the whole reason that we're here, which is what on earth can we do? Um in regards to holding our own green events. So kick it off, Colleen. So using these huge events that ECC has held as inspiration, um, can you break down to just a level of an everyday Albertan who is holding their own event, a COVID-friendly event? Um, what tips do you have that an everyday person can do to make their event more environmentally friendly? Yeah, let's talk takeaways. <laughs> The first thing that comes to mind is for most of us, if we're hosting a party, the most horrific thing that could happen is that you run out of food. You know, that's like a nightmare for people. But if we want to tackle the problem of food waste, and we do have a problem with food waste in Canada, we have to change the way we think about our diet. So my suggestion would be watch the amount of food that you're making for your party and the amount of food that you're serving. Encourage people to start with smaller portions and then go up for seconds if they're still hungry. Ask your guests maybe to bring a Tupperware container so that you can send leftovers home with them. And that's gonna help you to avoid all of that tin foil and that plastic wrap that can so easily make its way into your event. And of course, consider serving a plant-rich diet at your next party. For waste, waste is a big one. Have a recycle bin and a compost bin right next to your garbage bin. It's second nature for people to just go for the closest bin when they've got trash in their hands. So even having them close together or even having them marked lets people know where to throw, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and then don't be afraid to start conversations with your guests about how uh, food scraps and even soiled napkins should be going into the compost. Mm. And then lastly, I would say avoid those single use items wherever you can. 
if you can't rent uh, dishware, maybe try to borrow it from neighbors or friends. You can get creative with table setups if you're using multiple sets of dishware or plateware. And if you're serving drinks and you don't want to get stuck with all the dishes at the end of it, then just ask people to bring their own mug because now we're in COVID and I think that would be totally okay to ask people to bring <laughs> their own stuff. <laughs> so yeah, those are some tips that I think everyone can maybe think about if, uh, if they're having an event, you know, in their own lives in the near future. Thank you. I, I feel like that's all very easily actionable things that the everyday person could do. So thank you for that advice. Uh, I think it's time to turn uh, turn the conversation over to our, our audience now and take some questions. Um, one actually came in from our good friend from uh, Mortimer Capriles, who is with the Goodwill, uh, Goodwill Impact Center here in Edmonton. And he was just curious about how the Edmonton Convention Center is handling single-use plastics. That's a great question. So last year, we eliminated straws. We've eliminated single-use plastics that are not from a plant-based source. The, the struggle that still exists there, if we, we still we use corn plastic for all of our, um, if we do have concessions and we have to use um, a single-use plate or a single-use fork and knife, which we very rarely need to do anymore, um, it's a corn-based product. The problem with that is that corn-based product has to make it into the compost and not just go into the garbage with the rest of the garbage. So we overhauled our waste management processes last year to recreate our public-facing um, receptacles. So we not only added a listing of what should go in each area, we added an organics bin so we could try to ensure that all of those uh, products could make it into our compost. Um, those are all certified compostable products. And we also added uh, pictures because we recognize that a lot of the people who visit our, our center may be coming from out of country. They may not be English's first language. And so having diagrams of what could go where, we're gonna really help people to be more accurate on where they were throwing some of those items. Um, so yeah, those were some of the steps that we, we took last year. That's great. I, I have to share, uh, during the recording of this podcast, my brain was broken um, and my heart shattered when I found out that those uh, compostable th uh, items that I was uh, feeling like I was an eco hero in my own right for purchasing and then putting in the garbage, <laughs> that I wasn't doing the right thing. So I feel like I just need you to say it one more time about compost, uh, compostable materials going in the garbage. That's not good, right? So people think that biodegradable and compostable are the same thing, but essentially anything will biodegrade if you leave it in the ground for long enough. If I put my shirt into the ground, it's going to break it down at some point. It's just going to take years and years and years. Um, so for us, we use certified compostable products. Of course, any paper, like soiled paper products, soiled cardboard can go into um, your compost that will break down quite easily. Um, our compost goes to one of two locations. Some of it goes, like our food scraps, go to um, an organics holding pad. And then our other um, compost goes, some of it goes to be made into biofuels, actually, that goes to waste energy. So um, just a fun fact there on where some of these products end up going to. But uh, you have to make sure if you are buying something that is um, compostable, that it's certified compostable, it's actually going to break down and it's not just um, biodegradable. 
Got it. There's a step there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we touched quickly about food waste um, and where you take it. Can you unpack that a little bit for me, Melissa? Yeah. So food trimmings go into our organics program, but any of the food that is actually produced our guests that doesn't get um, eaten goes to the Edmonton Food Bank Second Helping Program. We were one of the founding partners of the second program, and that was over 10 years ago. So we've been donating to them for a decade. So any food that doesn't get served um, gets packed up. It gets put into a refrigerated truck, and then it travels to one of many recipient organizations across the city. And because of that program, in 2019 alone, we donated 4,200 meals to approximately to those in need in the city. We do that for any event in our building. So any food that is able to be donated does get donated. And then a really nice thing that we do is we share that information with our event organizers so that they can let their delegates know. Um, so we'll tell them exactly how many kilos of food or the equivalent of how many meals was donated um, from their event that they can then um, let their attendees know. Awesome. I think we have time for one more question. And uh, that question is, uh, during this this very bizarre time of COVID-19, where it seems like single-use items have definitely uh, come back into play in ways that we <laughs> seem like we were really on the way to, to moving away from them, uh, what are some ways that the average person can mitigate their waste during this time? I knew this question was going to come up. It's, it's kind of on everyone's mind, eh? Yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. Every time, every time mm -hmm. I see a disposable mask stamped into a parking oh, lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's true that you're seeing a lot of people who are transitioning back to using single use or disposable packaging, especially for meals, because they feel that they're the safest or that there's a perception that it's safe. And what we did when we started to approach reopening and how the food and beverage um, operations at our venues were going to change. We talked to people in hospitals, in healthcare facilities, and lots of different institutions across Edmonton. These are people who've been expertly delivering food and beverage services in the most sanitized and the most sterile environments that you can pretty much find. And what we took from them is the practices that they've really had in place for years. And we started to adapt that or use that to inform how we would evolve our food service um, practices. So we had a wedding this past weekend at the Expo Center and we served a full, I think four course plated meals um, to our guests. It was done safely and we used virtually no single use items at all. We of course had to adjust our step, uh, steps of service. We had to uh, incorporate different precautions around the event and really lay out exactly how and when disinfection had to happen. But what was great to see is that we didn't have to really generate any additional waste that we would normally have. The other thing too is um, with sanitizers and with PPE, especially when you're looking at a building as large as ours, there are ways to make sustainable choices. So for instance, we sourced our sanitizer from a local company, um, Strathcona Spirits. They make a great um, sanitized uh, sanitizer product. 
and we purchased uh, refillable dispenser units. So in a center of our size, we would have hundreds of dispensers and normally you have um, a plastic sachet inside that you would just take out, dispose of and put a new one in. And we're able to make a decision to invest in a model that would allow us to save on all of that plastic that mm. add up into the, into the coming years. So um, I think it's just about being intentional and recognizing that it's not a one size fits all, um, you know, in these kind of difficult times. It was so great to pick your brain about all of this stuff. So thank you for being our guest yeah. in this very um, interesting and, and uh, we really, we pulled back the curtain for our audience. Mm -hmm. we, you welcome them into, into your little corner of, of your <laughs> home back there. We ate pancakes and I, I feel like I'm leaving this conversation with a feeling very optimistic and inspired to, to do better, especially when it comes to, to events. Thanks. Mm -hmm. and, and for all the listeners, who are here today, we would love if you would stay um, up to date on the work that we're doing. We put on lots of great community events in normal times. We put on farm to table dinners, lots of different contests. So please um, stay in touch. You can follow us at, uh, at YAG Convention on Twitter or on Facebook. It's Edmonton Convention Center and same on Instagram. That was a really lovely conversation that we just had with Melissa Raju, who's the sustainability manager at the Edmonton uh, Convention Center and the Edmonton Expo Center. Um, Colleen, we've reached the end of our season, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. We did it. I feel like we just ran a marathon. So when I first met Melissa, I had just started doing a plant-based diet and I was just doing it like a 30-day thing. And actually after chatting with you, Melissa, I was uh really inspired on keeping it going so i've still have been i've still been primarily plant-based there's been times where like i have had some meat so i i don't want to say vegetarian i don't want to give out false information but i'm feel like i'm slowly moving towards a veg more vegetarian diet um so we'll see where it goes in the next few months but uh it's been it's been great and it's something that's important to me it's something that i'm uh, constantly also adapting to my two-year-old as well. So figuring out what sort of meals to feed her, because let's be honest, I'm an 80s kid that grew up <laughs> drinking eight liters of milk a week and having some sort of animal protein with every single meal. So it's a bit of a change, but um, it's an exciting one. And it's something that I'm really glad to be doing. And for me, for you, you. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> and for me, uh, Melissa definitely touched on it. Uh, just the importance, be it an event, be it a meal, be it anything, just taking that moment before you do anything to just really think and take into consideration how you could be reducing your environmental footprint through the action that you're about to do um, is huge. I, I don't know if I'll ever be uh, full out vegan, but I can definitely say that before a meal, I will definitely take a moment to consider if I'm going to be having a burger or if I'm having a Beyond Meat burger. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> is that a wrap, guys? What on Earth Can We Do is presented by the Alberta Emerald Foundation, a non-for-profit charity that showcases and inspires our province's environmental achievements. The guests are Emerald Award recipients. 
Nominations for the 30th Annual Emerald Awards open on November 2nd, 2020 and close February 12th, 2021 at emeraldfoundation.ca. We would like to thank our sponsors, ABCRC, the Alberta Real Estate Foundation, the City of Edmonton, the City of Calgary, the Government of Alberta, and Syncrude Canada Limited. To learn more about our programs or to make a donation, please visit emeraldfoundation.ca.